the Center for Medical Simulation presents Welcome to SimFails and other conversations from the Sim Sofa. You're here with Marcus Rowell from Germany, Kirsty Freeman from the land of Oz, and Janice Pelaganis from Boston, USA. What's up, my friends? How are you both today? Well, I have my coffee, so I'm good. I wish I was in your situation, Kirsty. I do apologize. We are drinking with a Chardonnay this evening, everyone. <laughs> this morning. <laughs> it's it's uh, afternoon in Germany. Absolutely. What do you what do you have on your table? Well, I thought it would be interesting to talk about the first phase of the debriefings. In former time, we kind of always underestimated the uh, importance of the reactions phase in the kind of in the beginning of the debriefing. I think it really helps a lot if you put a little emphasis on that phase and and spend some time on that. Recently, we just realized that instructors sometimes feel happy if the reactions phase is short and people say, oh, it was fine, everything was okay. And then you are happy kind of, and you start with the debriefing and go to the analysis phase. And then you realize that uh, you have resistance, problems, difficulties with the participants and stuff like this. So I really think it's, it's worth to spend time to, to explicitly asking the participant how was your experience in the simulation? Did you have any problems with the simulated reality? Kind of really uh, begging for problems, you know, kind of not being happy if they don't say anything. So what do you think about this phase? We, we sometimes call these emotions right after the simulation. Mm -hmm. We call it uh, soap bubble emotions. <laughs> so interesting. You know, like soap, <laughs> soap bubbles, they are in your way kind of, and you can't three through them you can kind of continue I like that. but if you touch them if you touch them they are easy to be destroyed you know they you touch them and poof they are they are gone the soap bubble will explode what a great analogy so, or they explode in your face you have to get you have to clear the soap bubbles in this reactions phase so uh, them out of the way so Laura Rock, who's a pulmonary critical care physician that works with us at the Center for Medical Stimulation, she's got this phrase that we love because she does a lot of work on breaking bad news with patients and mm -hmm. family members, which is emotion before cognition. If you don't do that emotion, that reactions phase, people are at such a high emotional state that they cannot cognitively have the conversation that you're looking to have with them. And so, you know, her mantra is you have to do that with any kind of difficult conversation before you can actually get mm -hmm. into topics. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Although I have to think about the soap bubble thing because sometimes the emotions are there, right? And it's a judgment call. Like you don't know, you, you just know the person to the extent that you know to just give them some time to breathe before going to them or else they're just going to kind of fall apart. Although if there's a strong emotion there and you can feel it, likely everyone else in the room can feel it. And they're already thinking about that and not thinking about 
the conversation. And so in those points of times, it becomes difficult, I think, as a debriefer to, to figure out, do I go there right now? Just wait a little bit, come back or what? Yeah. Yeah, you bring up a really good point. I have to say when I was really early on in my simulation journey and when I was starting to debrief, I was very script orientated. And so I had a script to help me move through Mm -hmm. the phases. And as we brought the people in to start the debrief, I knew that I needed to start my reactions phase by making sure Mm -hmm. I elicited a feeling word from my participants. And, and I don't know, maybe it's, you know, gender specific or cultural in the Australian context, but I got a lot of pushback from my learners about, hang on, I'm not ready yet to give you a word to describe how I'm feeling. Or sometimes the look I got from my learners was, you're not entitled. You don't know me well enough for me to give you that feeling. And I think because I was so script orientated about the reactions phase and, you know, following the script, I thought I had to ask the feeling and I, and I forgot what the purpose of this phase actually was. And Mm -hmm. so I actually, as I progressed, changed the way in which I worded my script and my script became more speaking as Kirsty, not as speaking of the script that I took out of the words from the literature and reminding myself why I was asking that question. It wasn't to, you know, necessarily for, for asking them in a short period of time to put a label on how they're feeling about the experience that I just provided them, but it was more than that. How did you guys go about coming up with your script? So, so Kirsty, just what, what were your words you are now using? So now I tend to, and it really, do, I have to say my script varies depending on my learners and how well I know them. So I think uh-huh. that as I've got a group of learners that I've developed a rapport and relationship with, I feel like I, I have a relationship that enables me to ask about their feelings. But if the learners okay. are relatively new to me and I'm, un, I'm an unknown entity to them, my script tends to be, so how did that go? It's interesting to hear that we, in, in recent times, we kind of stepped a little bit away from how are you feeling. So, and sometimes we tell our participants in the instructor course, you know, in really, I'm not interested in the feelings. You know, I know the people went into a stressful simulation and, you know, how do they feel now? And I don't really care. What I care about is, as you said, how did they experience our simulated reality? <laughs> you know, and we want to say, did they have problems with the reality, problems with the interpretation of simulated artifacts or whatever? And and did they think that the scenario was relevant for their kind of professional context? So this is kind of what we concentrate on. And, and kind of leaving this kind of feelings as such more or less out or do not address it specifically anymore. <clears throat> Janice. Wow. Well, the first, to answer your question, Kirsty, my, my scripting has definitely changed <laughs> from when yeah. I first started. I mean, <laughs> I remember being like, <clears throat> okay, that's not a feeling. One word one feeling and I would make them go around and it was like just not a conversation at that point it was like who is this girl I'm so glad to hear you (laughs) and so now my scripting's actually changed to be a lot more nonverbal and just actually observing 
what they're saying, letting them talk before I interrupt and not really using my words again. Like I'm really into the neuroscience of learning and every second that you speak, their brain is changing and you're not going to get the raw emotions that you would get if you just kind of sit there and listen or just do one like Mm. quick prompt question, like, um, how are you? Or (laughs) reactions and letting them talk. You're absolutely correct about not having to even ask, you know what it's like. And it depends where you run your debrief in relation to your simulation activity. Sometimes it's in the same space. Sometimes you take your learners into another room, but you know, the moment we pause and stop that simulation, we don't have to say anything and they already start that reactions phase themselves, don't they? Uh, and all we have to do, as you say, is listen. So if you are moving to another space, just slowly walk behind them and hear what they're saying because they've already started that reactions phase without us even you know, I know. Oh, that's, oh, gosh, that's my pet peeve in, in some of the instructor, instructor courses that you know, novice debriefers think that the debriefing starts when they sit at the table. (laughs) The debriefing starts as soon as the simulation ends and they're looking at each other. I mean, the slump in the shoulders or the high five, like that's all part of the reactions phase and not when you're, when you go and you sit at the table. You know, I, I see one problem when you let the reactions phase just go, as you said, and just let them talk. What we sometimes see is that they start to talk about what they did in the scenario. Oh, yeah. You know, in with the reactions, they say, well, and then, Janice, I couldn't understand why yeah, you, you all know. the time wanted to do this. And then I see the risk. <laughs> then you're entering the analysis phase and you are kind of unstructured. You are not going oh, chronological. that's such a good point. And so that's a big problem with a kind of too open reactions phase. What, what do you think? Right? I'm okay with that problem, um, but not the problem of I, I don't just you know, willy-nilly go into the analysis phase. Like, I'll spend more time on the reactions phase. What I say that I'm not, I'm okay with the problem is I'm okay with the problem of them talking about their performance. Because as they talk about it, a lot of it is interpretation. Like, I'll, I'll try to sense what the emotion is behind what they're saying and also note down what they're talking about. Because clearly, that's the most exciting part of the simulation that they'd like to talk about. And there's always a way, at least I've learned over the years, there's always a way to tie in whatever they're saying to one of my objectives if if I could. Correct. I think you worded that really well in that you can let that unstructured reactions phase happen. Um, But then I think it's important as an experienced facilitator, then you need to to bring that back um, and then sort of garner control. But as you say, Janice, you can hear some real pearls during that um, uninvited commentary um, from your learners that that really gives you a catalyst for things that they want to talk about. It's almost an, an informal, you know, plus delta, you know, some of the things yeah, that uh, exactly. they've come up with. Yeah, it's really nice to know what's, you know, because adult learners, according to Andragogy, they're self-driven. They're, they want to know what's relevant to them. And so allowing them in the reactions phase to state what's relevant to them helps me at least make the rest of the conversation more relevant as as relevant as I can. Marcus, I, I need to play with you a little bit here because your the your your um comment of leaving the emotions out. I feel like that was something that 
I was struggling with, you know, do you stick to feelings and do you really need to stick with to feelings? And I guess clearly you're seeing my gray and that I let them talk about performance. I, I don't force them into emotions yet. I would say over the last like three years, mainly because of my reading, uh, Inmore Dino Yang is a researcher who studies the role of emotions in teaching and learning. And mm-hmm. I love the way that she describes it, which is we used to think that emotions were the bowl in the china shop, but emotions are actually also the shelves that hold the china and the bowl in the china shop. And I think I, I've, over the last three years, especially with, you know, developing the feedback course, I'm really starting to understand how you cannot separate emotions from performance. And it's interesting because at least when I used to work clinically, the professional thing to do is to leave emotions out. Like you just if you're talking about performance, you don't talk about emotions, emotions later, right? <laughs> and and Fair if enough. you think about it, emotions are what is driving me to even talk with the other person about what I observed. <laughs> Everything we do in in the clinical setting yep. and in performance is driven by some sort of emotion. And we fail to recognize that. Like and and over so I'd say over the last three years, I've just come to really appreciate how important emotions are to performance and how they can't be untied, yet we as clinicians think they can be, they can be separate. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Sounds very good. What was the name again of the researcher you just mentioned? In Mordino Yang. Here's here's one of her books, Mary Helen. It's called Emotions, Learning, and the Brain. And then another book that I've read is from Alison Posey, Engage the Brain. So these are all mm. very uh, powerful books on looking at the neuroscience of emotions mm-hmm. and, and teaching and learning as well as performance. I think one of the things I really heard you sort of reflect on there is that, you know, as we listen to our learners as whether, you know, we, we ever formally started that reactions phase or, you know, we're secretly listening to them as they move to another space ready to start the formal component of the debrief. Even if they are reflecting on their actual performance, we know that if we listen, the way in which they communicate that is sharing their emotion. So if they're joking and laughing or if they're starting to use words and beat up on themselves or their colleagues, there's emotion in whatever they are saying. And it's our job, I think, as the debriefer to listen to that. So it's not just about the words as when I first started, they had to label their emotion with with an emotive term. But it's now I've learned to really listen to the, how they are describing, if they are starting to talk about their performance, the way in which they're describing it, because there is emotion attached to their, their tone of voice, the, the speed of voice, you know, whether they are laughing or, or even their nonverbal communication as they move away from the bed where the simulation took place to the chair that they're now going to sit and commence the formal debrief. So I think that's one of the things that I've really learned over my journey to date is that. Um, that reactions phase happens and I'm listening and an emotion is being demonstrated by them without me actually asking Mm. or needing it to label it. Very good. And I think when you're, when you're listening to performance, like paying attention to their nonverbals and their, the tones of their voice to understand the quality, 
their, you know, how they see their performance. Because I think that that helps with trying to figure out how to enter the discussion based on how they're feeling. Like if they thought that they did really well, which always happens, and then you're like, wow, that was like one of the worst performances I've ever seen. Or, you know, the opposite. I think we're the worst critics of ourselves as clinicians, and they come in and they think it was awful and you thought it was really great. Now you know you have to go in with specifics and um, you just kind of know how to approach the conversation better when you do the reactions phase. So I think we've had a really fruitful discussion today about this concept of the reactions phase or what do you refer to it again, Marcus, the the soap bubble? Yeah. (laughs) Which is a term that I'm going to start to use in my practice. Um, And Janice, you've given us some really good references that people can start to look at to help underpin some of the work that they might be doing when they approach the reactions phase. So I think we've had a great chat tonight and I really hope that our listeners will share their experiences and maybe some of their failures when they've started the reactions phase of their debriefs through our hashtag SimFails. I would love to hear quotes of what (laughs) what people's scripting was and what it is now. Awesome. Yeah, that would be great. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Sim Fails and Other Conversations from the Simulation Sofa is brought to you by the Center for Medical Simulation. Find out more at harvardmedicine.org.